Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Laura Ferrier. Today is March 1st, and here's what we're talking about in our grain headlines this week. The Ontario Corn Committee has released the results of a dawn analysis conducted on 106 corn hybrid samples. Now these samples are those that were collected from five performance trial sites in southwestern Ontario in fall 2018. And if you're interested, the full report is now available on gocorn.net. It's really important to note that none of the hybrids can be said to be resistant. Um, and under conditions favoring gibberella, any of them can accumulate significant amounts of dawn. But some hybrids consistently have higher than average dawn levels and others have lower than average dawn levels. The Corn Committee believes that the information contained in this report will be a tool to assist growers in reducing the risk of selecting hybrids that are among the most susceptible. So it's really important to have a look at the results and and sort of know how to interpret them. Grain Farmers of Ontario really advocated um, for the sample testing and the release of these results. So we hope that you do have a look and and find them useful. And going forward, um, we're not going to be left in the dark about Dawn uh, resistance on our hybrids. No, exactly, Rachel. Going forward, the OCC voluntary inoculated trials for hybrid ratings will continue at locations in Ridgetown and Ottawa. Uh, Use of these inoculated trials ensures that all the hybrids are subjected to the same level and types of disease pressure and provides data in years when there is little natural infection. It's the intent of the OCC that dawn testing will be an ongoing component of the hybrid testing offered by the group so that the growers will continue to have an independent source of information to assist them in reducing the risk of dawn contamination in their corn crops across the province. In some other more administration-type news, AgriCorps has begun the delivery of the farm tax program. So what that means is that if you are eligible for the farmland uh, tax rate in your municipality, you're going to go through um, AgriCorps to... um, enroll in that program. So MPAC is going to assess the property as farmland and determine its value. That information is going to go to AgriCorps who will automatically send you an application to um, assess that eligibility when you when you buy the land. And then your municipality is going to apply the farm property class tax rate to your property tax bill. And they're hoping that this once again streamlines the process because one of the components that you need to classify for this uh, property tax rate is that um, farm business registration number um, and that is already provided to you by AgriCorps. So it's eliminating the need to go through AMAFRA for um, that program. If you enjoy filling out paperwork for funding, you'll be pleased to know that the Canadian Ag Partnership cost share funding has been reopened. Uh, The Ontario Federal Ontario and federal government announced this past week that farmers and other businesses can again apply for support through the program. The new intake for cost share funding will take place between March 22nd and May May 6th, sorry, and more information is available on the OSCIA website. Now, Laura, there's one big ag event happening in North America that neither one of us are at, because we're obviously here recording this podcast in Guelph, um, and that's the Commodity Classic. There's lots of great uh, new machinery and events and meetings taking place there, and one of them is uh, actually being attended by Albert Tenuta, who we know is our field crop plant pathologist with Omafra, presenting about a really important um, agronomic issue that we need to be aware of. Yeah, Albert sent us some great information on the soybean cyst nematode 
Road Coalition. They're having, uh, or actually they just had yesterday, uh, Thursday, a big meeting discussing uh, their new strategic plan coming up and it, how it encompasses research, education, and outreach efforts with the ultimate goal to maximize farmer profitability in the face of increasing nematode threats. So they've uh, listed six main goals ranging from uh, fostering extension to developing nematode genomic and genetic tools um, and just a number of other things that in general will help the Ontario grain farmer who is maybe dealing with SCN and uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario is part of this this group um, trying to help eradicate and, and manage SCN in your field. Another thing that Grain Farmers of Ontario is involved in is uh, the 4R program. Laura, you know a lot about 4Rs, don't you? I do. I've been working on it for a number of months now. <laughs> so in our podcast this week, we're featuring a conversation with Steph Kowalski, who is a nutrient management uh, certified CCA, and Charlie Lalonde, who's a consultant who's been uh, heavily promoting the use of 4Rs here in Ontario. So uh, stay tuned for that. So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the 4R Nutrient Management Program and how that relates to agri-retailers. You might remember back in the fall, we did uh, talk a little bit about how Grain Farmers of Ontario signed on to a memorandum of cooperation that involved Fertilizer Canada, ourselves, the Ontario Agribusiness Association, uh, AMAFRA, the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, and Christian Farmers Federation. And so we thought it would be good to, uh, as we come into spring planting, get into March and April, as soon as the weather warms up, people want to be out in the fields, talk a little bit about uh, the four R's. So um, we have a couple of guests with us today. Yeah, so today on the podcast, we're joined by Steph Kolowski. Hope I said that right, Steph. Uh, she's the CCA and also the agronomy lead at the Agronomy Company of Canada, and Charlie Lalonde, and he's from CJ Agron Consulting as well as uh, a farmer. So, um, Steph, do you want to just start off about just giving us a bit of a background uh, on you and how you got into your current position? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to it. And um, so I work with uh, the Agrimark Group network of ag retails across Ontario and, and the Maritimes and, um, you know, supporting them, anything agronomic in the field, um, any trials, products, fertilizer products, crop protection products, things like that, as supporting uh, as well innovative, um, you know, crop management practices. And one of those uh, aspects being for our nutrient management. So I work to help uh, the Agrimarts get 4R certified uh, going forward. And you grew up on a cash crop farm? Cash crop and potatoes in the Alston area, yeah. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, potato farming is a whole different world from cash croppers, so it's a, it's a fun, but I get, I got a nice mix of both, so I get to enjoy the best of both worlds, and I cover in the Maritimes, so, you know, I get to enjoy that uh, potato farming background uh, again out there, so it's kind of uh, actually best of both worlds, yeah. So your family still operates the farm? No, no, they sold uh, a few years ago, so um, yep, they are no longer farming. Great. And Charlie, can you, I guess, do the same as Steph and tell us a little bit about your background? Good afternoon, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, I've been involved in the 4R program for the last seven years, uh, introducing it to Ontario along with Fertilizer Canada. So it involved um, various studies. Uh, We worked... uh, Combination uh, Fertilizer Canada, Grain Farmers of Ontario, introducing the concepts to 15 farmers across the province. Uh, 
so that we could learn from uh, those experiences as how ready were producers with the documentation to support for our program. And then that led to doing some um, tours, uh, choosing farmers uh, to be able to demonstrate practices to not only other farmers, but also to the environmental community as well as government officials. So it's been a, an annual event for me for quite a while. And tell us about your farm. So I retired from um, active work and started a second career as a consultant. So for the last 10 years, I've been uh, consulting on various uh, agricultural programs, looking at uh, best management practices, the four R's, uh, looking at environmental programs with respect to uh, water and how we can um, improve practices to reduce nutrient losses. And we thought since we're talking about four R's, it might be interesting to talk a little bit about each of your definition of what sustainability is. Um, so if either one of you want to <laughs> take a first stab at that. Well, I can go first. Sure. Uh, to me, sustainability is not complicated, even though there's hundreds of definitions out there. So for a farmer, it's using the resources of land, nature, and leaving it in a condition that the next generation can use it just as well. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, wow, I don't know how much more I can <laughs> add to that, Charlie. That was great. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of that natural instinct uh, to to uh, divert to the, the marketing sustainability, right, that we see in, in, uh, in the ag industry. I think we tend to get our backs up a little bit, that sustainability, um, you know, in downtown Toronto means a little something different uh, on the grocery shelves and sustainability in our fields and every day and what we're practicing. So, um, you know, Charlie hit the nail on the head in, in using our resources appropriately. And, and, and to me, I, the only thing I'd just add is, you know, making sure we're, we're getting the most out of those resources and, and, and using them in, a, in an area and, and a placement method that we are maximizing those, those uh, resources. So then maybe an easier question <laughs> would be, what is 4R? <laughs> I like that one a lot. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, the concept of 4R uh, is not a complicated one, and, and that's the beauty of it. Uh, applying our nutrients at the right rate, the right place, the right time, and using the right source is, is really good agronomic farming. So, um, you know, 4R nutrient stewardship, in a sense, so going with Charlie's definition, is, is a factor of that sustainability. Um, you know, we're using those resources in the manner that they're designed to be used in and, and leaving them in a better situation going forward for the future. And I would add that the 4R program facilitates telling the story to consumers on how their food is produced. Mm -hmm. So this is where we can gain in trust and transparency with the people that live in downtown Toronto. Uh, because they they don't know, and having a good for our strategy makes it very easy to explain the best practices. 
So why don't we talk a little bit about those best practices? Obviously, we can't get into everything, but if we focus on, um, like we say, March, April timing with uh, uh, spring planting happening, what are maybe some of the top three tips you would say relate to 4R that farmers should know about? Well, I will start with planning because it it all starts there in terms of uh, being able to deliver a strategy at the individual field level for a specific crop. So uh, when you talk about, um, for example, placing a fertilizer, that takes you back to having the right equipment for that crop and making adjustments to that equipment to fit the entire production schedule. You can't um, do spacing uh, at seeding if you're not equipped to later on being able to to go through the field and add uh, split nitrogen applications and let alone harvesting. So it all starts at the planning level. Then I'll pass it on to Steph. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, building off of that, like Charlie, when you said, you know, making that plan, that really, uh, uh, that kind of triggered some thoughts inside me. um, the beauty of the 4R program is that it's built off science-based, uh, you know, background. So, um, you know, some of the BMPs that are that are in and audit criteria that are under there are are built on, um, you know, sound agronomy and sound data, which really, at the end of the day, is designed to improve crop yields. So, um, you know, m- making sure we're, we're utilizing those nutrients uh, in the right manner, like not spreading on frozen ground, you know, is that good agronomically? Absolutely. Is it good economically? Um, you know, that absolutely. We're, we're making better use of our nutrients by getting directly uptaken by the crop at the appropriate application timing and place, um, as well as source and rate. So, um, you know, tying in that economics uh, this spring with the 4R, it's me go hand in hand. So making sure we're, like Charlie said, uh, you know, tying in that, that plan and making sure we're executing it properly. So how does working with a CCA, or more specifically a 4R designated CCA, um, help farmers? Well, I think the when you look at the objectives of a program, there's an economic parameter, there's an environmental parameter, and a social one. And these drivers interact. So the CCA can recommend, suggest uh, practices that respects the science, as well as practices that is a good fit for that farmer. Uh, you're not going to go out and buy equipment to deliver the four R's. The principles were organized in a way that any farmer can go along the continuum of improvement. So each farm, each field is different, and the four R's are walking libraries for that area. They understand the soils, the issues with the crops, and they understand all of the inputs. So this is what the farmer needs, is a discussion with the CCA. They formalize uh, decisions, and then they get executed, and the CCA is there to follow the process. Yeah, so Charlie hit the, um, you know, the, 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 the big 
question that's on everybody's mind, right? The economics of it, of uh, for a farmer to to implement a four-hour nutrient management uh, plan, nutrient management strategy. Um, so I'll kind of hit the social and environmental aspects of it. Um, you know, the the social one to me is is becoming more and more paramount every day when we're we're having dinner with friends and you know the GMO discussion comes up and you know we're all talking about glyphosate and all these things. So the social aspect of being able to educate, um, you know the the general community on what you're doing on your farm from a 4R aspect to me is huge that you know hey I'm not just over applying nutrients I'm you know I'm specifically targeting you should see this crop plan that we've made you know that is an education piece that that I think we need to start telling that story more as farmers you know the GMO like I said GMO and glyphosate that's in the headlines but you know we this is one where we're in a really unique opportunity to get ahead of it by by tackling tackling that social pillar and and telling our friends about it putting up those road signs that this farm is for our certified um you know that's 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 awesome in my mind uh, and then the environmental you know that um that great lakes those great lakes they you know they make headlines in toronto that's something that uh you know is an easy visual uh, piece so you know the 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 reduction strategy on that uh, has to stay at the front of of the uh, radar to to keep uh, that in line so um you know that that one is one that's just built right into it hands down and uh, for both of you, why do you think it's so important that we, through four R's, have this a standardized system? Well, in today's world, it's all about metrics. If we can standardize what we're doing in common language, then the consumers will understand what we're trying to say with the metrics. Yeah. Uh, in the past, We've done too much environmental work and simply provided data. Well, consumers don't want data. They want to understand, like Steph said, how their food is produced. And standardizing the four R's, uh, if you're talking about a corn crop, then it becomes very easy to talk about where the fertilizer was placed and how much was used so that the consumer can understand at the end. Yeah, I, th- I think Charlie hit it bang on. Um, you know, I, I comparing it to, um, say, the hotel industry, for, for example, you know, you, you get the hotel industry and this, this hotel is green certified, you know. They don't need to know the, the everyday details of what that green certification means. They can probably figure out, you know, it means they, they wash their towels, they use better water efficiency, things like that. So, you know, having something parallel in ag on 4R is, uh, is kind of the same to me, Charlie. It's that consumer messaging that, um, you know, this is what we're doing from a nutrient stewardship standpoint. And uh, that brand awareness of that is, is important. I would also add that the 4R allows for producers to uh, take courses Mm -hmm. so that uh, new science, uh, new approaches, learning between farmers and the CCAs, it all becomes part of the story. And when we talk from the retailer perspective, stuff, there's an auditing process that, uh, as part of the 4R program, that you have to go through to make sure that uh, you're actually doing the steps that you're supposed to be. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Yeah, so that's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, so one important thing to highlight is that it, you said it, it's it's the retailers that are being audited. So it's not at the farmer level. Um, you know, the farmers aren't aren't dealing with auditors or they're not going through, you know, their, their paperwork or anything like that, which is 
in my mind, crucial because farmers have enough to deal with on a day-to-day basis in terms of regulatory and workplace and all these other things. The, the last thing they need is, you know, one more program to, to have to do paperwork for. More paperwork. We always say <laughs> yeah. farmers love to do love paperwork. paperwork, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, so the retailer, we house a lot of this fertility information. We house, house the soil samples. We, we, you know, sell the fertilizer. So it's only natural, right, that, uh, you know, we go through the auditing um, protocols that that we have the documentation for and that's the important part is that um, you know there's 37 auditable criteria that we have to meet as ag retailers to to become for our certified and if we aren't meeting these these documentation audit standards we don't become certified so it, it kind of ties back into Charlie's point that you know the the consumer you know they need some sort of backing behind not necessarily a, a number but they need a backing behind what this story is and and to have this sound audited program you know we can go to our suppliers that we deal with with and sell our grain to and say look at what we've you know look at what we're doing here that we're not just saying we're doing it we're proving we're doing it we're audited on this so um you know the the audit standards the other thing is it's things that we're already doing as ag retailers we're applying the nutrients we're keeping those field maps of the applied nutrients we're making those nutrient recommendations we're the trained you know ccas to be making these nutrient recommendations Uh, we're doing the soil sampling we know these farms and working with those farmers to develop those crop plans um, you know we're in a kind of a prime spot to to provide this paperwork and and be audited so um, it's it's a great thing for the ag retail industry, in my opinion. And what kind of um, feedback have you heard from your customers uh, around implementing for ours? Like our, our grower customers? Yeah, or? from working with you guys. Yeah, I mean, they're well aware, like I said earlier, about the GMO and glyphosate discussion. They understand the social aspect of, of, of the public eyes on agriculture. So they're, so far, have been very receptive to to being on the leading edge of having the discussion and, and breaking through that wall to prove that we are proactively doing something. Um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, <laughs> nobody likes to bring it up, but the neonic situation, right? And and can we be ahead of something for once that, you know, we, we can proactively tell our story and, and, and steer the discussion? Um, so that's what we're, so far, most farmer grower, they, they, you know, fully supportive of that. And, and they're happy. They don't have to do more paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> as well. That seems to resonate very well. It's, yeah. it's you, not us. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned government regulations restricting the tools that farmers have. And one of the big issues with nutrient application is phosphorus, especially in southern Ontario. We're surrounded by the Great Lakes and runoff is an issue with phosphorus. Charlie, you've done some work on educating people about phosphorus runoff. Can you tell us um, how this program helps with educating not just farmers but also government and those decision makers you know you're touching an incredibly important aspect of our communications the issue of phosphorus is to control the phosphorus loss from the field and research has shown that the loss happens in weeks like we just experienced in Ontario heavy rains melting snow, uh, vegetation that is in the stage of decomposition. So the pathway to deliver the small amounts of phosphorus to the waterways is in full operation. It's not during the growing season. 
during the growing season, your field tiles don't work. They're dry because all of the moisture in the soil is moving up to the root zone. But it's uh, during the really heavy rain events and the snow melts that uh, we have problems. So the four R's is really helping in getting that message across. And secondly, uh, there's been enough science done that we know that we lose about half a pound of phosphorus per acre per year. That's worth about 50 cents. So it's not the economic loss, it's the social and the environmental impact that is driving farmers to want to see how they can do a better job at uh, meeting the three parameters, economic, social, and environmental. Because phosphorus in the lakes is contributing to the algae blooms that we see, and that's a really visible sign, I think, to the public that, you know, then translates back to the farmer in terms of a negative perception of our farming practices. What has been, I guess, your experience when you've been out in the field talking to growers, how they feel about that when they get that backlash from the public? Well, the, the response has been mixed. Uh, the farmers that are leading as farm leaders uh, will honestly say, we can do a better job. We don't want to be in situations where we have wind erosion issues uh, throughout the winter. We want to control water erosion. There needs to be visibility uh, from those farmers that are doing the good job with cover crops so that uh, the general public can easily recognize that the farm is attempting to do new things. So I think that's been very positive. Uh, a bit on the negative side, it's like us and them. Uh, the cities with their sewage treatment plants, mm -hmm. uh, the small hamlets, the cottagers with their septic tanks, uh, they're all contributors. But we're the ones with uh, millions and millions of acres. And when you have a small amount per acre that's lost, it amounts to a lot at the end of the year. So the four R's helps us get the message across that everybody's got to pull together. And Steph, I saw you nodding a bit there when we talked about some of the negative perceptions and the public blowback a bit. From a retailer perspective, how do you feel about handling that so-called blame from the public? Yeah, I think uh, I would probably guess that it would, it would impact the farmers more, really. You know, they're the ones that are, are getting that social aspect when, you know, they're, they're out with non farming friends uh you know or, or getting questioned by the public uh a lot of the times I'm, I'm not sure they're fully aware of you know ag retail's position in in that um so that's why it's even more important that you know farmers do uh understand and recognize and support the 4r program because it's it's them on the front lines you know we're here as the ag retail you know doing the certifications and and the documentations but um, you know, really the, the best voice for this is those farmers that, uh, you know, are dealing with the social aspect on a day-to-day. -day. 
And I know you guys might have touched on this a little bit, but um, if you were speaking to someone and uh, wanted to encourage them to to get involved in the 4R, what would you tell them about why it's important? You know, I, like I mentioned it earlier, I touched on it earlier. To me, it's it's such a unique opportunity to be in the ag industry, to be proactive and and in front of a story and steering that conversation, um, you know, with the government, with the regulatory, with the per, with the public. Um, you know, I find so mu- so often we're on our heels and we're so we have to defend what we're doing in a day to day. We have to defend common modern agriculture, right? We have to defend using crop protection products, and this is such a unique opportunity to be in the leader seat that I, I you know I don't want to see that go by the wayside uh, we're right now we get to we get to determine what the discussion and 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 the direction that this goes so i encourage everybody in ontario ag to jump in on this and and move forward on it because it's not an opportunity we get every day i'll, I'll say that yeah i think that's a really good point and i would add that farmers are innovative they they always take a torch to a new piece of equipment and they have to make a modica- modification <laughs> to suit themselves. And the same thing occurs with best management practices. Implementing them is not easy. But if Steph is visiting them and she's had the experience of uh, other farmers in the area, how they're approaching a certain practice, that transfer of information is priceless to the farmer. Uh, Gives them ideas on how they might do things. I'll use no-till as an example. Uh, When you talk about no-till, farmers will immediately think of uh, planting a soybean crop. But now we've got farmers that are no-tilling through the entire crop rotation and how they've adjusted their equipment to do that. Uh, If you're gonna plant corn in a no-till situation, you've gotta deal with how much pressure are you putting on those coulters to get the seed in the right place in the ground. There's farmers that wanna share that information and through the crop advisors, uh, that does get shared. And we want to, I guess, encourage more people to uh, become involved in the 4R program. So how would a retailer get more involved if they wanted to get on board with promoting 4Rs to their customers? Yeah, so, um, you know, Fertilizer Canada it would be would be the kind of the go-to point for that. Um, you know, on their website, they have all the kind of steps listed to, to get in and get involved and get educated. So first up, I'd visit there, get educated on, you know, what the program looks like in Ontario and what they need to do. And, um, you know, next step uh, after they've maybe think that they're, you know, in heading in that direction, uh, they, there's a great resource available to, to get a pre-audit, free pre-audit done. So uh, Paul and Lynn Warner will come in and, and, you know, go through basically the audit with you and let you know on some areas to, to, to build on in order to pass the formal audit, um, which is a great resource, you know, to, to even gauge where you're at, benchmark where you're at for free without having to do, you know, additional work at first and, um, and then develop that action plan to, to move forward towards certification. And how do farmers find out if 
the agri retailer that they're currently working with has a 4R certification or what should the questions be that they ask to, to find out more? Yeah, so under some of the audit standards, um, you know, there's a lot of audit standards involving uh, educating growers and having conversations with their grower customers, having, uh, you know, grower meetings that they talk about 4R at, um, as well as uh, grower sign-offs. So the growers, uh, for a 4R crop plan, um, you know, part of that is the grower signs off acknowledging that he knows, he or she knows that they've discussed that this is 4R, going to be 4R certified under the 4R umbrella. Um, so they'll kind of know by working with their, their ag retail if, if they are working towards 4R certification. But, uh, you know, asking that question is, is never a bad idea. Asking their CCA that they're working with, uh, you know, what does this look like? Uh, what does 4R look like at your business currently is, is never a bad question to ask. And I would say that the, there's transparency. All of the CCAs that have met the certification, uh, you can access that list. And as um, Steph has just said, through the education program that the retailer puts on, you get introduced not only to a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the CCA that comes to your farm, but you, you have access to a team that uh, you can utilize as the season goes on. Some uh, of the CCAs are more comfortable with vegetable crops and others are more comfortable with grain crops. So the team approach works really well and farmers quickly realize who they have access to in terms of resources. So the 4R uh, certification isn't just uh, being done in Canada and Ontario. Can you just tell us a bit more about um, how it came to be in uh, other international areas that are also using 4Rs? Well, the 4R program uh, needs to be broken down into two aspects. I'll talk about how it came about, and Steph will talk about how the audits came about. Yeah. So. Internationally, Fertilizer Institute in the U.S., Fertilizer Canada, uh, got together and they developed the principles. And they developed it in a way that allowed for a lot of local interpretation. And then through their conferences, education programs, uh, the 4R concept became a reality across Canada and into many parts of the U.S. And uh, efforts are now to carry these for our uh, practices uh, to third world countries. So that, uh, what's good for us is also good elsewhere. Uh, the nutrient issues uh, are present on other continents as well. So uh, the standardization that took place uh, facilitated the next step to get to audits. And I'll turn it over to Steph to talk about how perhaps you got involved in the audit. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, sharing the, the Great Lakes uh, border with Ohio and, and Michigan, um, Ohio was first to jump on the, on the audited uh, um, 
criteria for for their certification program so uh, actually in Ontario we we took their audit standards and with their help and support and guidance we tweaked them um, you know to more Ontario based uh, practices and and uh, climate you know things that that we do in Canada a little bit differently right um, so uh, and actually, right now, it's actually in the process of being tweaked. Now, the Ontario standards are are out in the Maritimes, being tweaked for PEI, as as they have some, um, you know, environmentally sustainable things that are on the radar. So, um, you know, the program's kind of growing and changing as it moves across uh, Eastern Canada, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, it, it did come from our our, uh, our friendly neighbors uh, south of us in Ohio originally, and I think there were 41 audit standards, and and we cut it down to, to 37 and uh, tweaked, uh, made some, some some major, some minor changes uh, to us, and um, and then move forward with it here. So we're pretty happy with the outcome. Uh, we think we think we've done a great job, and there's a lot of. Uh, good solid Ontario data behind some of this so that's the other bonus of it you know utilizing um, some of the phosphorus data that uh, Charlie had mentioned that's that that is local is is the absolute bonus of it great and uh, before just to leave us off um, how does 4R fit into your um, your perspective of what the future of farming will be in sustainability it's a a big picture one that's a big question (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the four R's is all about practices. When you look at all of the standards that are in place, you get audited on the practice that the retailer is doing. You get, uh, part of that involves what are the practices that the farmer is doing. It's not about transferring data from the farm to the whole world. It's the process that's being audited. Mm -hmm. So the acceptance of that approach is very high amongst farmers. And um, once uh, you've gone through the cycle once, the benchmarking allows you to become more competitive. Mm -hmm. So the four R's will fit platforms that are out there for uh, product sustainability. So uh, the large multinational companies uh, will use the 4R information to get check marks against certain aspects of the sustainability that uh, they are looking for. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie hit it. You hit it right on there. Um, you know, anybody that uh, is familiar with, you know, um, potato farming or horticulture crops, um, you know, the Canada Gap audits that they have to go through and the rigorous uh, documentation that they have to go through, um, you know, in order to just sell their crop. Uh, I see that translating right across all of farming. Um, you know, grain farming being the acreage that we cover is is even more paramount that it's, it's going to come to us. Um, from these large multinational companies, uh, they're going to want that that checklist for their producer or their consumers, and uh, for the sustainability side of things, um, you know, the WalMarts of the world. So it's it's going to become a, a to market our goods. I think we're going to have to have that check off, and and I think 4R is the again coming back to why 4R. I think 4R is the ideal place to do that because we again we get to drive it based off science-based criteria so um 
I, I'm excited that it is 4R and it's not something else coming from somebody, you know, not in ag developing. I'd rather develop it for the for the market. So that's exciting. Um, but uh, I see it uh, in in grain, especially. I see it becoming that that checkoff to to sell our crops. Uh, we're we're gonna have to have that footprint about what we're doing and what that we're doing it sustainably. Well, thank you, Steph and Charlie, for joining us today on the podcast. I think we had some great discussions and uh, learned a bit more about uh, four R's and how we can implement them. So that was great. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Joining us on the phone from Orlando, Florida, is Marcus Hurl, chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. And Marcus, you're not on vacation. You're actually down there in Florida for the Commodity Classic, attending a bunch of meetings on behalf of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Can you fill us in a little bit about uh, what's happening there? Yeah, of course I can, Rachel. Uh, so every year we do want to take advantage of the Commodity Classic to meet uh, with uh, some of our uh uh, people that we work with uh, in the U.S., especially the ones that represent the farmers, and uh, I'm talking about the American uh, Soybean Association, the uh, National Corn Growers Association, and the uh, National Wheat Growers. So what we do here is we line up some uh, meetings with uh, of the executive members from those organizations, and uh, we discuss certain priorities that uh, are important for us uh, in Ontario and uh, we often enough find commonalities with our counterparts. Yes, we do have to realize that in the um, marketplace we are competitors, but when it comes into approval processes for uh, traits, uh, new chemistries and uh, future developments about, uh, around agriculture, uh, it gives us that a dialogue base that we can explore and uh, find ways of working together and uh, not um, uh, basically finding only the, the bad because there's a lot of good that can come out of that discussion. What have been some of the main topics that you're talking about this year? I imagine perhaps the discussion around soybeans and China and trade with uh, our partners? Yeah, trade is certainly the top of the line on the soybean side, but um, we have to remember that uh, the uh, the whole trade distortion is becoming more and more important that the uh, U.S. and China get a resolution to this. As I'm sitting into some of those sessions uh, this morning here, uh, talking about uh, grain trading and trade impact, there is an urgency asked from farmer members that the U.S. government sits down with the Chinese government and get some resolutions behind that because it's hurting their industry. Plus, it's also showing up significantly on some of the charts that they were that were shown this morning. Even the Canadian industry is suffering under it. So um, there is some acknowledgement that it hurts the whole trade. Uh, around the world, what's happening with U.S. and China. But then if we look at other commodities, uh, there is some optimism in the corn uh, because of some of the uh, higher than normal uh, use to stock ratios. Uh, there is some optimism around that. And, uh, of course, when we start to talk about wheat, that's always the unknown target because uh, 
there is so much wheat being grown around the world and so many more players that come online year after year and more and more acres. Uh, it becomes a very difficult marketplace to, to predict. And uh, so what happens also through those discussions that we have with our counterparts, we want to make sure that we address some of the, uh, like I said, the um, uh, approval processes for new chemistries uh, of how we can work with their uh, approval process and um, uh, maybe find ways of speeding those processes up. And it's been quite a busy week for you meeting-wise. Before you headed down to Florida, you were meeting with the Grain Growers of Canada. Can you let us know a little bit about what that discussion was about? Yeah, of course I can. Uh, so uh, every year, uh, Grain Growers uh, has done lobby weeks uh, in the past. So as we joined the Grain Growers this, uh, this past year in 2018, we want to make sure that we are engaged in those uh, dialogues that happens in the, uh, especially on the political level. So uh, we uh, engaged in that um, lobby week uh, to hit some key um, uh, ministries that have impact to our production and uh, to our farmers. So uh, what that does, uh, again, we want to make sure that we understand what policies are being developed, how we can work with them. And often enough, the way some of the dialogues end up is uh, we need to keep this dialogue open, make sure that our points are addressed, and uh, make sure that uh, we understand what government is developing and uh, that we're engaged in the, um, uh, the process. So what that also gives us during this uh, lobby or grains week, as they call it, um, some uh, more in-depth engagement with uh, the minister, uh, because the minister actually did come out to a reception in, uh, on Monday afternoon. Uh, it gave us also the, uh, the chance to meet some of the MPs. And uh, as we know, uh, there's an election year 2019, that we want to explore all of our avenues that, uh, first of all, uh, the elected officials uh, need to make sure that agriculture is a driving industry of the Canadian economy. So that, that uh, needs to make sure that they understand where we are. Thanks for the update, Marcus. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Well, you're more than welcome. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Charlie Lalonde, Steph Kowalski, and Marcus Hurl. Also, thanks to our producer, Mark Carter. Help us grow our Grain Talk podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes and Google Play. And remember, five-star reviews on iTunes help us reach more people.